Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. You can find out more by visiting Johnson's Air Conditioning. Dot com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed. President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg will be joining us as well. He is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, lives in the Beltway, and he also has written a couple of murder mysteries that are terrific. Uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It is March the 15th, and on this day in 44 B.C., Julius Caesar, dictator of Rome, was stabbed to death in a Roman Senate house by 60 conspirators led by Marcus Junius Brutus and Gaius Cassius Longinus on March the 15th. The day later became known as the Ides of March. Caesar born to the Julii family, but not particularly distinguished Roman aristocratic family, began his political career in 78 BC as a prosecutor for the anti-patrician popular party. He won influence in the party for his reformist ideas and oratorical skills and aided Roman imperial efforts by raising a private army to combat the king of Pontius in 74 BC. He was an ally of Pompey, the recognized head of the popular party, and essentially took over the position after Pompey left Rome in 67 BC to become commander of the Roman forces in the east. In uh, 63 B.C., Caesar was elected Pontifex Maximus, or high priest, allegedly by heavy bribes. Two years later, he was made governor, father of Spain, in the 60 B.C., returned to home, ambitious for office of council. The councilship, essentially, who was the highest office in the Roman Republic, was shared by two politicians on an annual basis. Consuls commanded the army, presided over the Senate, and conducted its decrees and represented the state in foreign affairs, Caesar formed a political alliance, the so-called First Triumvirate, with Pompey and Martius Licinius Crancius, the wealthiest man in Rome, and in 59 BC was elected consul. Although generally opposed by the majority of the Roman Senate, Caesar's land reforms won in popularity with many Romans. In 58 BC, Caesar was given four Roman legions and during the next decade, we demonstrated brilliant military talents as he expanded the Roman Empire and his reputation. Among other achievements, Caesar conquered all of Gaul, made the first Roman inroads into Britain, and won devoted supporters in his legions. However, his successes also aroused Pompey's jealousy, leading to the collapse of their political alliance in 53 BC. The Roman Senate supported Pompey and asked Caesar to give up his army, which he refused to do. In January 49 BC, Caesar led his legions across the Rubicon River from uh, Gaul to Italy. 
thus declaring war against Pompey and his forces, Caesar made little gains and early gains in the subsequent civil war, defeating Pompey's army in Italy and Spain, but was later forced to retreat in Greece. In August 48 BC, when Pompey in, in pursuit, Caesar paused near uh, Pharsalus, setting up camp as a strategic location. When Pompey's senatorial forces fell upon Caesar's small army, they were entirely rooted, and Pompey fled to Egypt, where he was assassinated by an officer of the Egyptian king. Caesar was subsequently appointed Roman consul and dictator before settling into Rome. He traveled around the empire for several years and consolidated his rule. In 45 BC, he returned to Rome, where he was made dictator for life. As sole Roman ruler, Caesar launched ambitious programs of reform within the empire. The most lasting of those was the establishment of the Julian calendar, which, with the exception of a slight modification adjustment in the 16th century, remains in use today. He also planned new imperial expansions into Central Europe and to the East. In the midst of these vast designs, he was assassinated on March the 15th, 44 B.C., by a group of conspirators who believed that his death would lead to the restoration of the Roman Republic. However, the result of the Ides of March was to plunge Rome into the first round of civil wars, out of which Octavian, Caesar's grandnephew, would emerge as Augustus, the first Roman emperor, destroying the Republic forever. So the effort to restore the Republic ended up in, what, a dictatorship. The story, The Ides of March. Well, Saturday and Sunday, the Florida Department of Health reported 69 and 50 new cases of COVID-19 in Cuyahoga County with three additional deaths. Of course, everything is listed as COVID-19 deaths. 47 have been hospitalized as of the 11th of March. So again, our, we have plenty of hospital space for people with COVID-19. Every Friday... VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, that's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, makes public all vaccine injury reports received by the system as of Friday of the previous week. This week's data shows that between December the 14th and March the 5th, a total of 31,079 total adverse events were reported to VAERS, including 1,524 deaths and an increase of 259 over the previous seven days, and 5,507 serious injuries, up 1,083 over the same period of time uh, through March 5th. Uh, the data show of the 1,524 deaths reported as of March the 6th, 30% occurred within 48 hours of vaccination, 46 occurred percent occurred in people who became ill within 48 hours of being vaccinated. 19% of deaths were related to cardiac disorders, 19%. 53% of those who died were male, 45% for female, and the remaining deaths didn't include gender. The average age of those who died was 77.9 years of age, and the youngest death was 23 years of age. As of March 5, 265 pregnant women have been reported adverse effects related to COVID vaccines, including 85 reports of miscarriage or premature death. None of the COVID vaccines approved for the emergency use authorization have been tested for safety or efficacy 
in pregnant women. There were uh, 1,689 reported uh, uh, reports of uh, anaphyxias, with 59% cases attributed to Pfizer, Bio, and uh, vaccine, and 41 to Moderna. Remember, less than 1% of vaccine injuries are reported to the CDC. Just 1%. Multiple countries in Europe have put further administration of the COVID vaccine on hold due to concerns of blood clots and other reactions. So I'm not suggesting that we should not uh, get vaccinated. I'm just suggesting we should be in the know of all this information. This is the first I've seen of this, but this is actually reported each week. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed an executive order that prevents local governments from issuing fines to residents and essentially all businesses for not following COVID health safety mandates. The only exceptions to the order are assisted living facilities, hospitals, and health care providers. The order specifically states fines imposed by any Florida subdivision from March the 1st, 2020 to March the 10th, 2021 related to the local pandemic restrictions, are canceled. DeSantis, in signing the order Thursday, called the issuing of the fines out of control and said he wants to protect residents from such extreme measures. Thank goodness for Governor DeSantis. Most of these restrictions have not been effective, he also said. That's just the reality. The evidence is on that is in on that. And so we want to really go forth fresh and we want people to make decisions, but we don't want it under the heavy hand of government. Thank you, thank you, Governor Ron DeSantis. However, officials in some Florida cities haven't been haven't been pleased by the order, especially as spring break travelers begin to flood the area. And you can imagine how some Democrats are responding to this order. Not too favorably, unfortunately, but uh, Governor DeSantis is right. People can make their own decisions about their own health, and we don't need the heavy hand, as he called it, of government uh, making interventions. Senator Rand Paul has been one of the few politicians who's regularly questioned Dr. Andy F- An- Anthony Fauci and his decision-making during the coronavirus pandemic. In a new interview, Uh, Paul once again blasted Fauci for his public health recommendations during the COVID-19 pandemic, and then he spreads noble lies, said uh, uh, Rand Paul. Noble lies, he called them. Uh, Fox News' Laura Ingram asked uh, Senator Paul, Senator, have you been one of the few lawmakers to directly call out Dr. Fauci's lies? Are people afraid to question him, and if so, why? Paul responded, well, it's in the science, and people are afraid of, as you know, scientists, and he puts a pet, he's put on a pedestal. But you have to remember that his lies are noble lies, Laura. He's not telling you this because he's a mean man. Uh, he's telling you this because he feels sorry for you because you don't understand and Americans aren't smart enough to make informed decisions. So he fashions himself some sort of Greek philosopher. He tells you these noble lies. He's absolutely right. We all have the right and the capability to make our own decisions about our health. And uh, quite frankly, mask mandates and all the such should be uh, done away with immediately. 
This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the, on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work and now working on election reform. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for economic education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman, as I mentioned before the break. He's an author. He's written several books. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Mark, just to point out to our listeners, you are in Tel Aviv right now. And I think uh, let's start off with, as we have for the last, what, couple of months anyhow, uh, the whole issue of covid What's going on? Okay, so we can divide this into three different three different 
uh, groups, maybe four. First, here in Israel, where I am, uh, things finally seem to be under control. The vaccine is definitely working. Uh, 95% of those people in the hospitals were not vaccinated or only had received one of the two shots. Almost, um, I think only 3 or 4% of the people in the hospitals have received both shots, and none of those were critical. So clearly the vaccine works. Um, Israel's using uh, used the Pfizer vaccine, and at this point has vaccinated about 50% of the population, about 70% of those that could be vaccinated because children can't be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost everything is now fully open. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the one or two minor, I think the clubs are the last thing to open, and they're all going to open up on, on Sunday. Um, so the sense is that the numbers keep dropping every day, and hopefully this is it, um, but no one's quite sure. Um, but that's the general sense, that how the about, vaccine how absolutely about, works. How about travel? And with enough, hmm? How about uh, world travel? Uh-oh. Okay, well, Israel is not allowing people in from outside in very limited number. They're letting Israelis come back 3,000 a day. Uh, there's no one leaving the country except for essential business. Again, the biggest fear is a variance that will be um, that the vaccine won't work with. Yeah. So until that's determined, they're trying to do their best to keep travel to the absolute positive, you know, the, the most minimal. Um, I mean, that's what Taiwan did, that's what New Zealand did, that's what Australia did, that's how they made sure there was no, and China, of course, did it as well, ultimately. So that's how all those com- countries succeeded. They took care of it internally and limited foreign travel as much as possible. Uh-huh. I mean, in the lack of foreign travel this past year, generally speaking, has resulted in the fact that there's been almost no flu. There's been almost no other diseases during this whole year. I mean, contagious diseases. How about uh, uh, the Netherlands has halted the use of AstraZeneca? Any of AstraZeneca, right. So AstraZeneca seems to be problematic. A couple of countries have halted the use. I have a friend who took it three days ago. He had significant side effects in England. He's located. Hmm. Um, but um, he seems to say he's okay now day four. Um, I was about to say, so the second bucket at the moment is Europe, which is for reasons that no one quite knows is doing an absolutely horrendous job in in the rollout of the vaccine. Hmm. They're just not getting the vaccines out. It's not quite clear um, what's happening in terms of Europe. Um, And as a result, like Italy right now has a renewed outbreak because the variants are now taking hold in parts of Europe and and the population is not vaccinated. Um, the situation is getting worse in quite a number of countries. Hmm. So Europe is doing poorly at the moment. Um, they have been doing better, but now they're doing worse. The United States, we've seen a plateau at this point in terms of cases. It was going down consistently. Now it's sort of leveled off. Um, but, of course, the vaccination efforts have picked up tremendously in the last couple of weeks. And if enough people can get vaccinated, uh, then... Um, then the United States will be in, in reasonably good shape. The United States is now vaccinating more people per day than anywhere in the world. Um, and, um, you know, that's the question. Well, now is easy because people who want it are getting it. Will hap- what will happen? Will there be too many people who will be idiots? And I say that quite strongly and clearly, idiots who don't want to take the vaccine um, and therefore endanger themselves and endanger the the whole the total population. Yeah. So, what about the dust um, up? So and we'll how about the dust up between the U.S. and Mexico? Apparently, Mexico would like is does it, I guess demanding in some ways that the U.S. provide vaccines for the uh, Mexican population. Well, there's a problem generally speaking. The United States, you know, has not released any of the vaccines that it's it's holding. Particularly, the question is the AstraZeneca vaccines, which we just talked about a moment ago. 
Uh, the United States has like six or eight million of them right now, but is holding them to see what happens. Um, and President Biden basically has stated that he will release additional vaccines to the world as soon as he's sure the United States has enough for the total population. Uh, they've given the United States has donated money to, to produce vaccines in the rest of the world, um, but is not willing to give up any vaccines until the United States is 100% sure that everyone in the United States can vac- get vaccinated. So in that case, he's following an American first strategy, which ultimately makes sense. Again, you have to have a plan afterwards, because if the whole world isn't vaccinated, you're never really going to get rid of this thing. So we need to get a plan that the whole world gets vaccinated, mm-hmm. um, but we'll have to see. I just uh, came across my desk a few minutes ago, literally, a, a release from a company that I know that trials has a nasal spray, uh, nitric oxide nasal spray, that seems to be incredibly effective in um, limiting the effect of the disease. In other words, it's not a vaccine. It cuts the viral load by 99% in three days. Hmm. So we'll see what happens with that. That it's, it's requested emergency approval in the U.K. and Canada right now. Interesting. Um, so it's a therapeutic, and not, it's therapeutic well. and not a vaccine. Not a, anyway, it's not a cure. It's, it's something that turns turns what can be a deadly disease into just a, a very mild disease. Let's yeah. put it that way. Okay. Sounds so it's not, it doesn't replace the vaccine, but it, it could you know, certainly save, save lives, uh, to say the least. We'll see how that works out. Okay. Uh, but look, the bottom line is people need to be vaccinated. There's no question in my mind that that's, that should be everyone's first, first responsibility. It's a responsibility to everybody else, and it's a responsibility to yourself. And hopefully everyone will be doing it. And the people who are opposing it will decrease in numbers as, you know, the numbers, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines have now been given to millions and millions and millions of people, I mean, tens of millions of people at this point. Right. And the number of cases of bad reactions basically can be counted on on hands and feet, you know, in the whole world. So. There's an organization that's reporting the... uh the, the poor effects of, of this, and gosh, I've just eliminated the information, but it's uh, yeah, an incredible organization. Oh, stop with all those conspiracies. Enough. <laughs> Enough. You should <laughs> all learn that there's no... Not a conspiracy that, that, that at all. All these conspiracies are really nonsensical at this point. I can say for a fact here in Israel where uh, 5 million people have been vaccinated and there's no way to keep the news of, of um, bad reactions quiet. I mean... Three people died within two weeks of getting the vaccine, but they were all over 80 years old, and they had, you know, heart conditions and everything else. So people die, obviously. Um, and there were like two cases of of um, the reaction with with where the nerves in the face um, freeze for a couple of days, but those all were taken care of in a couple of days, and you know, that's it. There've been no serious cases at all. All no, right, Mike. Well, no conspiracy theories, please. Let's let's move on. <laughs> no, I, you know, you and I have this thing, but I really don't believe in any conspiracy theories. Yeah, but there's some actual. Uh, there are reports of people who, for example, pregnant women who uh, have negative reactions to the vaccine. Uh, there's pregnant women have now been encouraged here absolutely to be vaccinated. At first, uh, they were not encouraging pregnant women to be vaccinated. Um, they're 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 encouraging everyone over three, after three months be vaccinated because there have been a number of, a fair number, a ridiculously high number actually, there were up to 20 cases of pregnant women in comas uh, and two of them lost their babies from COVID-19 
um, because they were not getting vaccinated. So now they're recommending everyone gets vaccinated. Mm-hmm. The only reason they're not recommending it in the first three months is because they don't want people, because, as you know, in the first three months of a pregnancy, things happen that have nothing to do with, obviously, with the vaccine, and they're afraid of, you know, people saying, well, I lost my baby because of the vaccine, so they're trying to limit that. But pregnant women are particularly endangered by the uh, new variant, the British variant of the vaccine seems to be particularly problematic for pregnant women. So I urge them all to get vaccinated because here in Israel there were 20 cases over a short period of time of, of pregnant women in a coma. And like I said, two of them lost their their babies. All right. So, Mark. From COVID, not from vaccine. So we have some other things to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Mother, a big shout out to Golf Shore Playhouse. It just had an infusion of about $14 million into Golf Shore Playhouse in order to build this brand new 44,000 square foot theater. And I hope you'll find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. I proudly served as the board chairman for 15 years and, uh, much great things are happening. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. 
So, Mark, uh, protests continue in Myanmar. Uh, maybe you could give us an update. Absolutely. Protests continued over the weekend, and they continued despite the fact that uh, 56 demonstrators were killed by the, the army and police over the weekend. So here we have a case of people not willing to give up on their freedoms. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's very impressive, actually. Um, they, the army is willing to kill their own people just to maintain their power. Um, but the end result is they're not giving in. The people of, Milmar, Mil, of Miramar, excuse me, are continuing to um, demonstrate, are insisting that they want uh, their, um, their freedom and their, their, they want their democracy back. Yeah. So I think it's all wonderful, quite honestly. I mean, the question of what, what the world can do is always a problem, and once again. It is indeed, um, but it is so inspiring to see what some people just treasure, other people consider as trash in so many different ways, and uh, freedom for, for the people in Miramar is so critical, so it's a beautiful thing to watch, in my opinion. Um, the uh, Asian trip, uh, there's a trip being put together by, I guess, the Secretary of State and another official from the United States. And Secretary States. of Defense, both of them are on the way to Asia. Um, this is interesting. It's the first trip over, physical trip overseas. In other words, until now, all meetings have taken place virtually. But um, both Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense you know, believe that they have to mend our ties with all of the Asian countries um, before the United States takes on China. And a realization that there's a, you know, not a showdown like war showdown, but there's a showdown coming with China. And in order to to get everyone on board, Japan, Australia, um, South Korea, um, they're go, they're flying there to, you know, to, to fix some of the frayed relationships that have occurred over the last four years, mm-hmm. reinvigorate that relationship, and then be in a position to have a, to have a single voice taking on trade and military issues that the United States has and the Asian countries have with China now. Yeah. Um, a big shout-out to... Multilateral uh, diplomacy is the way, way they're going, obviously. Yeah, uh, I think a big shout-out is due to uh, Australia for their position and the stand that they're taking with regard to China as well as the, the uh, mainstream or the media, the uh, uh, social media companies. No, absolutely. Australia has done some interesting things, both in terms of China and, like you said, in terms of uh, social media demanding payment. Um, the News Corporation, of course, is, uh, dominates the Australian news media, and they basically managed to force Facebook to, to share in the revenue. Um, that's a whole other question. I think we could spend a whole show discussing mm-hmm. that issue yep. um, and the place of you know Facebook, Google, etc. In, in our society, both business-wise and social-wise and political-wise, I think it's definitely worth worth an hour's long discussion, but that's a different story. Absolutely. Well, then let's move then to uh, London women and what's going on. Yeah, very interesting story that is, I mean, I don't want below the radar, but um, a, woman, a young woman, 30-something-year-old, um, was killed um, two weeks ago. She disappeared on the way home from, from work. Uh, and, it was, and it turns out she was killed by a police officer, of all things. And the anger there is is very, very strong because she was a woman who followed all the you know all the things, didn't go on dark streets, wore bright clothing, had running shoes on, um, called her boyfriend before she left to say she was leaving, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then what happened after she, her body was found? 
the police made the situation doubly worse. First, they went around and told women to stay in their homes because it's dangerous. And then, when they when the women protested, they broke up the protests violently against the women who were protesting, saying the protests are illegal, COVID, and everything else like that. And um, the protesters, of course, were protesting against the police. Um, the 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 bottom line is the view of these women is that it shouldn't be the women who have to change their lifestyle to protect themselves. It's the police that should be protecting themselves from the attackers. Yeah, but wasn't not and the uh, the uh, uh, COVID uh, restrictions that kind of led to this? I don't think so. I'm not sure why the COVID restrictions would lead to this, per se. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm not sure why what, what COVID restrictions would have to do with this at all. Hmm. It, it had to do with the demonstration, yes. Hmm. This was a rogue policeman who obviously was a, a predator of some kind, and he 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 took this woman, and she disappeared for a whole week until they found the body. How disappointing! And I don't know if any of the details in between, but um, the reality, the anger in London, is towards the police and towards the view that um, that they can do, you know, that the, the the women have to make up for for what the men are doing, etc. Mm. And they should they should take care. And the women are saying, no, um, we are the ones who are um, being attacked. The police's responsibility is to protect us and not tell us to stay indoors. Yeah, interesting so. story. We'll see how this develops. Final, final I, want, I want to ask you about is the uh, burqa banning. I think this is starting right now in uh, Austria. Switzerland. Switzerland, rather. Yes. Yeah, Switzerland of all places. It's an interesting thing. I mean, again, Swiss, um, I guess the Swiss are bored. I don't know what else to say. Because they don't have the Swiss do not have a large Muslim population. They do not have you know it's it's a real issue in France, it's an issue in other countries, but Swiss uh, do not have that problem in terms of you know large ethnic groups, etc. And uh, they passed this ban. Uh, the Swiss have always been. I mean, uh, without giving an opinion on the ban plus no, negative, let's just say the Swiss have always been. Um, shall we call? Rather, rather Swiss, and they don't really like outsiders. It doesn't make a difference who they might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're very insular, and um, they've decided to make to pass a ban. It was a it was a national referendum, and it passed. So interesting development. So, so it is law now. Uh, yes, it is law. It's a fact. Which you know, again, it would be a real problem enforcing it in France and Switzerland. There just aren't very many, many people walking around with brokers. I guess may have to worry about it. Let's see. United Nations, Geneva conferences, etc. Maybe I don't know. We'll, we'll see. This, um, that's such an interesting situation because it's probably easy uh, to enforce the ban if there's not many Muslims there. But uh, right, it kind of sets a precedent. It could be interesting to see what happens around the rest of Europe. Yep, absolutely. Again, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, I encourage you to visit HistoryCentral.com, multimedia website, terrific for kids of all ages including you and I. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I'm going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay, uh, you can learn a lot more about us at our website, fee, dot org, and there you'll see commentary added every single day on the webpage, plus a lot of uh, online videos. Our purpose is, is to educate and inspire young people in ideas of liberty and personal responsibility and character and limited government. Fee.org is the website, F-E-E.org, terrific website. And I encourage you, if you have a young person in your life that is uh, high school or college age, please refer them to the organization, to Fee.org. It's a great, great, I've been to national conferences. They are fantastic. So, uh, Larry, you wrote a column about uh, a guy by the name of uh, Jan, I would imagine it's pronounced, Jan Nowak. Jansky, mispronouncing, I'm sure, but (laughs) such an interesting story of courage. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay, his name was Jan Novak Jezeransky. He was Polish, and I often turn to Poland when I am interested in finding people of great courage because that country has produced so many courageous people over the years, and they've had to do so because Poland has suffered at the hands of foreign invaders and occupiers uh, for centuries. Uh, Jan Novak Jezeranski 
was a journalist and an economist. He lived in the uh, uh, 20th century, and shortly after Germany invaded Poland in 1939, uh, he joined the resistance. He was captured by the Germans, but then he managed to escape, and he organized uh, various German-language publications, hmm. all designed to wage uh, psychological warfare against the Nazis. And then later, uh, with the war still going on, he acted as an envoy between the Polish Home Army and the Polish government in exile, which was based in London. So uh, he had to make many clandestine travels from Poland, occupied Poland, to London and back. And his uh, daring adventures in doing that were the focus of a recent movie called The Resistance Fighter. Yeah, so interesting. You know, you think about the whole notion of courage, and what would you do? What would I do under the circumstances? Would you make those same decisions? Perhaps you might just go back to your business of publishing and writing as, as opposed to taking a stance like this. It just takes a lot of courage. And as you point out, uh, I, I guess according to Billy Graham, courage, courage is contagious. Yes, uh, it took an enormous courage to do what Jan Novak Jezeranski did. Uh, uh, courage is uh, sometimes hard to find. In fact, Mark Twain made the comment that uh, physical courage, uh, you can find plenty of examples of, but moral courage uh, seems to have uh, uh, a lot fewer examples. Well, Jan Novak Jezeranski had them both. Uh, he was the first journalist to report on the scene from the a 1943 uprising of Polish Jews in the Warsaw ghetto, ghetto. and then a year later uh, he was he fought on the front lines of the Warsaw uprising, which was the largest single military effort taken by any European resistance movement during all of uh, World War II. When the war was over, he continued to fight oppression as a broadcaster for the BBC and for radio. Free Europe, and he even served as an advisor uh, to two U.S. presidents, Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. That's so fascinating indeed. You do, and I've uh, known you for a long time, Larry, and you've made many trips to Poland, but you do have some favorites there of people who've demonstrated terrific courage along with uh, Jan and, and what he's accomplished. Yes, uh, one of my favorites is Witold Pilecki. He volunteered, uh, this is in the same period uh, as Jan Novak Jezeranski, to enter the Auschwitz concentration camp hmm. so he could secretly create an underground resistance. Uh, an amazing man, what a, what a startling thing he volunteered to do. And from the inside of Auschwitz, he, uh, for almost three years, sent uh, smuggled documents and even radio transmissions to the West. Uh, to inform people what was going on in the Nazi concentration camp. He's just one of so many uh, that uh, Poland has produced over the years. A great people, uh, full of courage, and uh, a great place to visit, too. Absolutely. And, and again, the, this question all comes back to the question that we all have to ask ourselves during when we're faced with those, these types of issues. Uh, how do we react? Do we demonstrate courage, or do we kind of cower and uh, go back to business as usual and just hide among the masses. I think just an important issue for young people to think about 
Uh, it may not happen in their lifetime. We hope not. But uh, throughout history, we've seen times where people have had to demonstrate real courage. Larry, are you there? Oh, yes. I'm still here, Bob, but I can barely hear you. I'm so sorry. I was just referring to the fact that we can only hope that people don't have to demonstrate this type of courage in their own lifetimes, but it's important for young people to understand the importance of this and that uh, sometimes it's their number comes up there. They're, they're going to be called. That's right. And if we have models of courage like Jan Novak Jezeranski to look to, uh, perhaps that will help us grow in courage ourselves. So we may need it when we least expect it. Absolutely. Again, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Uh, you can visit FEE.org, FEE.org. And again, do recommend this to somebody of high school and college age. It is a terrific organization. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed, and I apologize for the difficulty in in hearing. Sometimes I have that with uh, some guests and don't know why. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McPegg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau chief. He's written a number of financial books. Upon retiring, he decided to start writing murder mysteries, and the two that he's written, one is called uh, Follow the Leader, and its sequel is Shake the Money Tree, two great murder mysteries. Hope you give them a read. Uh, we're going to be visiting with Jim that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I hope you'll visit Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can download it at choicesocial.us. We have with us Jim McTake, as I mentioned before the break. He's the former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also author of several books. His two latest, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, two great murder mysteries located in Washington, D.C. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me, Bob. I'm, I'm s- sitting here thinking about gasoline prices, which I haven't done for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're approaching $3 a gallon, and we've been be- way below 3 for for many years now. Um, and at the same time, I hear Democrats in Washington agitating for a uh, a new fuel tax, in part, I guess, to... Uh, encourage us to buy electric cars to huh. save the planet. And I'm thinking what a huge fiasco and a huge cost to the general public that's going to be. Uh, and uh, I just hope the Republicans do not cooperate, you know, let the Democrats ram it through. <laughs> yeah. uh, because that will pretty much, uh, the Democrats will be pointing a gun to the temples of their head if they if they go go with this, I guess this, this is supposed to be a carbon tax, is the way they're doing it, which is kind of an offset and a way to have a special tax that has absolutely nothing to do with 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 the with the, uh, the case at hand. But tell us more about uh, what you've learned about uh, carbon or uh, electric vehicles. Well, you know, I, like everybody, I'm I'm fascinated by uh, new technologies. I owned a a uh, Toyota. Camry hybrid in the past, and and I loved it. It was a very good car, uh, but I needed an, an SUV, so I have an SUV now that is not a hybrid, and I love that. Um, you know, when you travel, and we will be traveling more now that we're all getting uh, vaccined up, um, you like to have uh, the peace of mind knowing that if you're absentmindedly forget to look at the fuel gauge and, and, and the light goes on, that a fuel station is not far away. Mm -hmm. So I've been looking at the advertisements for the Mustang, I think it's called the the E3. It's it's Ford's first serious challenge to Tesla, and it's an SUV. And one of Ford's selling points, which I put that in quotation marks, Mm -hmm. is that uh, you get Ford Pass, which means uh, it's the largest public charging network in the country. And I thought, wow, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And Ford has, if you go to their, their Mustang site, they have a uh, an app that you can use. So, for example, this morning I did a trip, theoretical trip. I'm in an electric car, and I'm going from Naples to Sarasota. Mm-hmm. Not that far. You know, theoretically, you can charge in your garage and, and make it back and forth, no problem. But, but let's say you're the absent-minded professor, and you set off on the road, and you realize you know, before you get to your destination in Sarasota, you need a charge. Well, if you look at this map, you have to pull off the highway and, and locate like a Chevy dealership in Punta Gorda or a, uh, you know, some kind of other dealership or a public library. And most of these sites have just uh, one outlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have four. I think, I, I think there's a Walmart somewhere on that trip that has six. That's, that would be like the penultimate pit stop. Right. Um, 
you know, if if the Democrats were to uh, tax gasoline like they're talking about to try to get us to make it so uneconomical to take your car on a trip like that, which they would like to do, uh, it's going to be a nightmare if you pull into a Walmart and it has four plugs and, and you know, uh, there are eight or nine people uh, waiting to charge up. So uh, that's what I've been thinking about this morning and thinking that uh, it's a crazy plan because the infrastructure isn't ready for it. Uh, we don't know that electric is a solution because you have to generate power to power those plugs, and that causes pollution. And uh, I was thinking that uh, the Republicans, uh, just as they did not uh, cooperate with the Democrats on this $1.9 trillion stimulus, uh, would be nuts to cooperate with the Democrats on any revenue-raising plan. Let them ram it through, and then that would guarantee the ne- uh, during the next election that the Democrats were just uh, driven out of office by angry voters. Yeah, so riddle me this there, Jim. I mean, it, the, I think uh, they used a, a special situation in order to ram through the $1.9 trillion situation uh, uh, legislation. But won't it take 60 votes from the Senate in order to approve something like, uh, let's say, this uh, special tax on carbon? Uh, it would. It would. Um, but I think the um, I think the Republicans, if they want to uh, save their skins and have any chance of a resurrection in the next election, should should be very vocal about their opposition and refusal to uh, cooperate. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, uh, one of the the hallmarks of this last process, the stimulus bill, um, that there was uh, no committee discussion, no markups, uh, you know, no really critical analysis of this bill. It was just shoved through. And I I think uh, going forward, that's just going to be the um, the general, uh, the way that, that the Democrats uh, move legislation. You know, it's, uh, yeah, well, here, what you it know, like, the Republicans, we're going to run the country our way. Yeah, what it looks like and, to me is, is the, the president is basically saying, you know what, uh, it doesn't matter what the people think. I'm not going to address the people. What they think just doesn't matter to me. Uh, then, and he, he's, well, he's issuing these executive orders, and uh, none of it, you know, and I think in terms of make America great again, that was always the context of how President Trump developed uh, or presented what he wanted to accomplish. None of that exists in what I'm seeing from the Biden administration. And it, to me, it looks like it's saying we've got power and we're going to use it the way we want to, irrespective of public opinion. Almost appears to be no attempt to win over public opinion. Uh, yeah, not only that, there seems to be a lack of critical thinking um, before they implement these, and, and I mean the um, uh, the classic example is the uh, crisis that has, has immediately developed on our border. Mm. I mean the headlines today. You know the Washington Post is a liberal newspaper. Mm. It's been very critical of President Biden uh, the past couple of weeks, uh, especially regarding the crisis on the border. Um, uh, the Wall Street Journal has a very interesting story today about how uh, our our border uh, patrols, because of the laws, they have to release people who have uh, coronavirus 
into the general public. Yeah. And, and so officials in, in border communities are, you know, just raising cane because uh, we're trying to fight off the infection here. And uh, Biden's border policies are actually inviting infected people into the country. So uh, uh, you're right. It's, um, it's kind of like a... Um, an industrial policy from above, uh, and those things never work. Yeah. And um, they are, uh, they're not listening to the opposition uh, much to, uh, you know, their own peril. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, they've got kids in cages, so to speak, and they've got kids that are not getting enough to eat, they're not being able to see the sun, not being able to wash. I mean, this, this whole thing is not going to stand up to, to scrutiny it's just not a policy that's that's going to work. I mean, it's uh, and further, you got what is it? Fourteen attorneys general across the country that are basically saying we're standing up to this. This is not legal. I yes, but it, it's um, you know, it's I I just don't know how to dis- describe the chaos in in Washington right now in terms of. Uh, policies um you know the these presidential proclamations both by uh, you know and it started with obama you know he really pushed the envelope mm-hmm. and i think he did a lot to weaken the country with his presidential proclamations and then and then uh, you had trump follow suit um and i'm not going to criticize his proclamations because what he did was he he Push back the the damaging Obama proclamations, uh, proclamations that layered on red tape, for example, and and choked the economy. And so, you know, when those types of presidential proclamations were eliminated by President Trump, we saw an economic boom like uh, we haven't seen since maybe the '60s. Uh, what Biden did was come in and say, well, I'm going to do to Trump what he did to Obama uh, without really analyzing uh, whether Trump's proclamations uh, were truly positive or negative. Yeah, you know, there was, there, there was no kind of uh, analysis at all. And so now we have the uh, crisis at the border because um, as heartless as Trump's uh, policies seem, that's how they were described by the Democrats, uh, they were actually necessary and effective, and uh, let me let me add that there are some Democrats agitating that that uh, there be no further rollback of Trump policies at the border. Yeah, well, it's it's really incredible to see that, uh, uh, as you mentioned to start the conversation, gas taxes are going up. Uh, we're, I think we're going to see the economy turn down. There's so many indications right now that we are not headed in the right direction. In spite of the fact, and, and uh, this president just basically seems to be uh, totally ignoring the will of the people. It's, it's a very unfortunate situation, in my opinion. And, and the other thing is he has no press conferences. Um, you have to wonder what he's trying to hide. Uh, you know, we always suspected that there was some uh, cognitive issues with uh, Joe Biden. And the fact that he's afraid to uh, face the press and answer questions that would be of uh, interest to voters speaks uh, very, very loudly about the uh, state of the administration. Absolutely.
Jim McTagg, again, uh, author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo. Boo Mortensen will be visiting with us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Blessed Government. And I always look forward to my conversation with Linda. My wife will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.